0: everyone i'm so excited to tell you about this podcast it's called the dk project but it's really the darren show the dk project is a radio show but without the radio so sit back buckle up and enjoy the ride let's
1: go all right podcast fans welcome to the latest edition of the dk project the third episode of shark week we have uh, covered everything about jaws and sharks that uh I care to admit to. Today's episode, we've got Carl Gottlieb. He was one of the writers on Jaws. He also wrote The Jerk. Uh, met some amazing people, Belushi Pryor, blah, bitty, blah, 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 blah. He's seen them all and talked to them all, which is just awesome. Uh, it's a great little interview. He uh, He's doing well. He went through a little medical episode, but uh, good dude, great stories. Um, you're not going to want to miss this one. So stay tuned and let's all welcome Carl Gottlieb. It's that time again, folks. Time to enjoy summer. And what's more summer than ice cream? The Lost Lake Creamery is open. We have made some changes for your safety during these difficult times, but we still have 24 flavors of ice cream, shakes, malts, and root beer floats. Check out our new website at lostlakecreamery.com. You can bike, boat, walk, drive, however you want to get here. We are located at 5575 Shoreline Drive, just off the Dakota Bike Trail in the Harbor District of Mound at the end of the Lost Lake Channel, on the north end of Cook's Bay of Lake Minnetonka. Open every day. Stop in and see us today. And remember, ice cream fixes everything. All right, Project fans. With us today, zooming in, the legendary Carl Gottlieb. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I am good. I'm good. I've been... uh excited to talk to you uh boy do you have a resume my gosh what part of the country are you in the east where are you at i'm in los angeles at the moment sunny los angeles i uh i uh, i got a daughter going to school out there soon so i'm going to be uh coming out to visit i'm, I'm in minnesota and we uh <laughs> been looking for an excuse to get out of the winter so i think i yeah, found sure. it i think <laughs> i found it i uh i've been going over what what have you been up to i've been going over your uh your your IMDB and, and everything you've done, my gosh, I, uh, I don't yeah, even know where to being, start.
0: Um, um, I am of an age, and I had a heart attack last year at about this time. <clears throat> so I've been uh, kind of in recovery for the last year. I spent six months in rehab, then I came home, and I'm living alone. At first, I came home, and I had 24-7 caregivers, yeah. Now they're out. Now I'm back to living on my own and and you know taking care of my own business. But um, I'm a lot frailer than I was, so I'm um, much less active. And the only advantage to having been in rehab for six months was that by the time the pandemic hit, I was already in training. I already had been living <laughs> alone in isolation. Sure. And social distancing.
1: Nice. Well, it looks like you recovered fine from the heart attack. Was it a major,
0: uh, major phone call? A big one? Uh, yeah. Yeah. A big one.
1: Oh, that's no good.
0: Yeah. Near fatal. I don't remember any of it. I, I'm last thing I remember was going into the ER. And the next thing I knew, it was 12 days later. And I was wow, suffering all kinds of side effects. And uh, it took me you know, three months in inpatient rehab.
1: Wow. Get was that fight. your first major, uh, was that your first major hit?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been very healthy up, up until that date. And I, I would almost have appreciated, um, being awake for the, uh, for the hospitalization and everything else, because the way it is now, I was feeling okay. Not, not great. I was very tired and stressed, obviously, but I, you know, no more so than usual. And I just felt a little discomfort in my chest. It wasn't anything like the heart attacks that you read about. Right. But uh, uh, my ex-wife prevailed. She said, you know, my doctor said, call me in the morning, which uh, if I had done that, I'd be dead. And it was my wife who said, um, you have two choices. Call 911 or I'm coming to get you and we're going to the ER. Wow. So, I, she came and got me. We went to the ER. The very first person who put a stethoscope to my chest said, "You're having a heart attack." <laughs> they took me upstairs. They took me upstairs to get a camera up my femoral artery and get a look at what was going on. Oof. And once they saw that, what was going on, they said, "Okay, cardiac surgeon, cardiologist, standing by." Oh. I have very good ones. I had the, the, some of the top people at Cedar Sinai, which is our big hospital here. Yeah. And uh, for the next four days, five days, it was touch and go. My my ex-wife was sleeping in the hallway for five days. Wow. Waiting, waiting for news. And uh, I don't remember any of it. The next thing I knew, I was waking up 12, 12 days later, 12, 12 days. days out of my life. Wow. With a scar down the middle of my chest, a newly. Yeah. You
1: know, a it, new looks like, it looks, like, looks like a roadmap now. Like you, you've got a, your own uh, roadmap. So you can find your way back?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I, I uh, luckily it was not your classic heart attack where they have to replace the coronary do coronary bypass and replace your uh, coronary arteries. Yeah. There wasn't much wrong with my car- coronary arteries. I had a perforated septum. Oh. And that, and that was what was repaired. Yikes. So the, so the septum is working fine. The mitral valve is fucked up. I have less cardiac function than the doctors would like. Um, I'm having a defibrillator put in at the end of the month, mu- at the, in the beginning,
1: oh. uh, middle
0: of August. I'm having a defibrillator installed. Yeah. And I might have surgery on the valve. I don't know.
1: They make those little uh, but, defibrillators right here by but I, me.
0: But I feel okay. Um, I can walk a mile or two every day. So I do that. That's good exercise.
1: Yeah. That's good. So no so, marathons though, huh? You're going cardi- to hang that up?
0: Cardiologist is very happy. So let's, let's talk about what we came to talk about because yeah. I could go on about my illness forever.
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm i looking at your, uh, when you, when you, when this all started, I mean, you've been, you've been at this a long time. How did you get into the industry? I mean, we're looking at what in the sixties you started. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, when I graduated college, which was a, uh, I think January of 60, I was going to be class of 59, but I missed a few credits when I transferred. So I stayed on for an extra semester.
1: Did you graduate from Syracuse?
0: Syracuse, yeah, January of 60. And there was nobody else graduating. I mean, it was just, you know, one day I was going to classes. The next day it was winter in Syracuse, which (laughs) is as bad as winter in Minnesota. Yeah, And I was on my own. I was out and I made one decision at that point which is I'm only going to work in show business. I'm not going to be a bartender or a cab driver or a merchant marine or a truck driver or do any of those other jobs. I'm going to be in show business. Wow. And if, it, if I get paid for it so much the better. If I don't, I don't care. So for the first couple of years, I hung lights and did sound and coffee houses in Greenwich village. And, you know, the, uh, you know, just you know, kind of bummed around, but I was, I was in the business. I what was, was your What was I your degree in from Syracuse? In meals, sometimes I worked for for nothing just to be, uh, you know, to be on a stage. <clears throat> but one job led to another, and eventually I got, uh, uh, I got drafted. That interrupted my trajectory
1: for Vietnam. And then,
0: in the art, when I got out of the army, I joined the committee in San Francisco, which had just opened. It was a yeah. brand new improvisational theater, very, very famous one, one of the first. And I joined as a stage manager because that's what I did in those days. But then I became, you know, as time went by, I, I directed the company. I went to New York and worked for a Broadway producer. Then I came back to the committee as an actor in 66, and that changed my life. I was in San Francisco for the Cultural Revolution, 66 to
1: 68.
0: Yeah. The best time in the world to be in San Francisco. It was the first time in American pop culture that trends started on the West Coast and percolated East. It used to be that the intelligentsia and the trend setters were in New York and Philadelphia, and Boston. And for the first time, San Francisco and to a lesser degree, L.A., was supplying the cultural impetus to change the youth culture from the west to the east, and I was a part of that.
1: Wow! What about, so, so what was your degree in from Syracuse?
0: A theater and journalism okay. dual major in drama and journalism. So I've always been in the theater or writing about the theater. When I was in high school, I thought I'd be Brook Sanderson. I wanted to be a drama critic.
1: <laughs>
0: so, what did you? When when
1: did you start getting paid? Like, when was like your your first real? Uh, this is going to work.
0: Um, um, uh, when I was stage manager for the committee, that was an equi- Actors Equity company. I was an Equity stage manager. So, okay,
1: because
0: there that's were some the big names that
1: came through there, wasn't there? Pardon? Uh, the committee. There, there were some some good actors that came out of that, wasn't
0: there? Oh, yeah, yeah. My my uh, my classmates were Howard Hessman and uh, um, Barbara Boston, who married Steve Botchko and lee french who was on the smothers brothers show first <laughs> uh, and and then uh, in 68 we were so successful in san francisco we opened the los angeles company and i came to la and if you were performing in la and we had a 300 seat theater and we did six shows six nights a week wow we were seen by a lot of people so robert altman cast me in mash and then the smothers brothers hired me as a writer for the Glenn Campbell Summer Show with a bunch of other new writers, including Steve Martin and Rob Reiner and Alan Bly and Chris Beard and Mason Williams and Lorenzo Music. Wow! And then we won an Emmy for *The Smothers Then Then we got hired straight from the uh, Glenn Campbell Show to do *The Smothers Brothers* Comedy Hour on CBS, and we and we were simultaneously canceled and won the Emmy.
1: So- <laughs>
0: And then from there on, it was just one job to another. I worked in Variety Television. I was a story editor of The Odd Couple. Well, you saw the IMD. Yeah, yeah,
1: yesterday. yeah, yeah. I got a bunch of questions for you here. What? So so, uh, how was Glenn Campbell? I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Glenn Campbell. Is he all uh, he's cracked up to be?
0: Uh, then, yes. I mean, the, the saddest thing in the world is the last documentary he yeah. did where he was suffering from Alzheimer's yeah and it's obvious in the documentary that he's losing his mind. Yeah. He's not losing his technique. He can still play the S of a guitar. yeah, but you can see that his mind is going. it's it's kind of a tragic documentary. And i I, I got to give him and his wife credit for allowing it to come out the way yeah. it did because it's quite revealing and and very intimate. and it's a portrait of a guy who's on his way out. oh man. I, but he I... was and at the time we worked with him, he was he was a the, the best of the good old boys. He was a a gr- the highest paid session player in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, wow. He, he was he was a beach boy. He he played on he played on everything. He was part of the wrecking crew. Yeah. with Al Blaine. Wow. And what did you do? Like and, a variety show with them then? Yeah, yeah. That was in the old golden age of variety shows. So it was Glenn Campbell, uh, the Fifth Dimension, Carol Burnett, Red Skelton. Uh, Laughing, uh, there are a, a lot of a lot of comedy variety shows. And so you I had a good run with the show. Smothers
1: Brothers, right? What's that? The Smother, the Smothers Brothers. You had a good a good run with them, right? Like you did a, a lot of stuff with them.
0: Well, we do. I did the final season. They were on the air for three seasons. Uh, the final season was the one that won the Emmy. Okay. Uh, and then we got canceled because of network difficulties. Right, right. but it was great because we got paid for a thirteen show pickup, even though we never got we never had to write the shows. Nothing wrong with
1: that. Nothing wrong with that at
0: all. So I, but I, and, and because I was in television, I moved on. i was I did four Flip Wilson specials where I worked with Richard Pryor. How was that? I really Peter Sellers. and you know, I, I I had a really I had a really good run. I came you know, and then one, and by seventy, one seventy-two. Well, then I took a year off to do commercials. Year and a half. Yeah. And then when I came back from doing commercials, uh, I did uh, a Richard Pryor movie, Which Way Is Up. And then how how was Steve Richard Martin Pryor? Movie. Then I did the Jerk. So, if I was a Jeopardy category, it would be his hits begin with a J.
1: <laughs> how is how is How uh, was Richard Pryor?
0: Great. I mean, I I I loved him. We got along great.
1: That was right during his heyday. Right then, when you were doing that. Well,
0: he was he was in his manic depressive period, and when I met him, he was manic. And cleaned up. He he was dating Pam Greer. Yeah. And she had him on an exercise regimen, and he was he was very healthy. And then, he started drinking and snorting, and he got one of the special. I did. Four Flip Wilson specials, and Richard was a guest on two of them. And on the second guest shot, he got into a fight with an NBC page, and I had to break it up. <laughs> so I was subpoenaed by both sides. Oh wow! The insurance. Wow, you got to write a book. Anyway, haven't you written a book was, yet? Yeah, everybody says that. And then, and then. Uh, uh, then you got into the jerk. I was doing a show called Music Scene, which was a worked with every rock and roller in the business, and I had known Crosby. I knew the whole Laurel Canyon crowd: uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, <laughs> Jackson, Brown, Joni Mitchell, Jeff and oh Robert Jeff and Elliot Roberts. So I was, you know, I had one foot in rock and roll and one foot in, you know, pop television. And when Stephen called me to do Jaws, I was a story editor on The Odd Couple at the time. So I left a hit show on television and went to do an unproven, untried motion picture with the director who had only done one movie, Ooh. two if you count dual. Risky. And, and yeah, but well, you know, in those days, my criteria for taking a job was have I done this before? Right. Now, if I just stayed in television, I probably would be you know a billionaire because i might have created a show and owned it and then i could have been seinfeld or larry david or one of those people yeah yeah chuck laurie or somebody but uh, i like to think um but i i never did i never did that i i jumped to features because that was where the action was and now the best writing in television is the best Writing in scripted media, never mind television. The best writing is in television, not in movies. Movies are practically passe. And yeah. what with the pandemic, we don't know what's going to happen in movies.
1: Yeah, no, not at all. I, I that's got to be killing these movie theaters. I, I want to say I drove by one yesterday and they were open, but I didn't pull in. It, uh, it looked a little strange, but there was only like five cars
0: there. um So uh, it's the only way to watch a movie these days is on a drive-in.
1: Yeah, which which would be cool if they brought that back a little bit, you know, like they've almost gone extinct.
0: Um, They actually are. It's the only place where people, families can go and watch a movie now.
1: Yeah. Well, and I got I got some comedians that I follow that are doing a a drive in theater tour where they're doing the stage uh, in front of the screen and uh, and doing their comedy deal just so they can get out there. It's sure. a great. It's a great idea. I don't know how they pay them, but whatever. Um, so when all this is happening, and you're and you're in there with Richard Pryor, and you're doing the Flip Wilson show, did you realize at that time what you were doing and and how major it was, and how big of a player these people were going to be?
0: Um, well, you know, this is a strange business. You you, you don't know what constitutes stardom. You don't know what's gonna hit, what's gonna miss. I always say the audience tells us. we don't tell them what's a hit. They tell us. yeah. so my take on it was just to uh, do the work, be a professional, be the best, be the best I could be. Um, it's a business of relationships. I had good relationships, and the people with whom I had relationships turned out to be geniuses. So our collaborations were always successful, and you know, I uh, and I came along for the ride and wow gained a reputation. Gained my reputation as being a good, a good worker, a good guy. You know, funny writer. Yeah. So you know, every job led to the next job, a natural progression. So did you? Know, you... I could have, I could have gotten some bad shows. I could have gone to work on you know. I don't know, you know, pick a failed series. Yeah. Uh, But,
1: uh. So, so did you write, uh, The Jerk? Uh, what, what was your role in that? Did you, did you write the whole thing or did you co-write it or what did you do there?
0: Well, the screen credits of The Jerk are story by Steve Martin and Carl Gottlieb, screenplay by Steve Martin, Carl Gottlieb and Michael Elias. Steve and I wrote the bear, the original first couple of drafts and then they were going to uh, paramount it was going to be a paramount movie but paramount passed it went in turnaround to universal i didn't have time to do the rewrites so michael elias did the next rewrite and qualified for a screen credit and the result was the jerk which you know helped everybody yeah um and and so uh, you know, I had known Steve since the Smothers Brothers days. He was, you know, we were writers together on the Emmy show. Yeah. So when he got his screen deal, he said, Do you want to help me write a screenplay? I've never done one. And by that time, I had written Jaws, which, you know, was an iconic film. Right. And i had written Which Way Is Up, which was a Richard Pryor film. So I'd reestablished my comedy cred. So nobody objected. Everybody thought it was a good idea to work with Steve, including me and Steve.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And we saw for a while. And the the genesis of the jerk is is worth repeating. We had a little writer's office at Paramount when it was still a Paramount project. And they gave us a couple of electric typewriters and all the yellow pads and pencils we needed. We had a little office in the writer's building. (laughs) We'd show up every day and just look at each other and say, well, what about? And then it would.
1: Oh man, that had to be so, so fun. A
0: couple, couple of weeks went by and we had the, like the tyranny of, you know, it could be about anything we wanted and we didn't, you know, we don't know where to begin. Wow. Uh, and then Steve said one day, says my manager thinks it should be about money because everybody's interested in money. So we said, okay, money. <laughs> and we sat for another week and then Steve once said, you know, in conversation, he said, well, you know, this, there's a line in my act that always gets a laugh. Even when the act is failing, this, this joke is kind of surefire. I said, well, what, what is it? He said, I was born a poor black child. (laughs) And something lit up and one or both of us said, all right, what if you were born a poor black child? (laughs) And we started writing the first scene of, of, uh, Not 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 the first scene of the movie, but we started writing the first scene in the sharecropper's cabin in the Mississippi Delta, where Steve is a member of the black family and they're singing the blues and you know being. It's where he learns he's not black.
1: How, how long did it take you to put that thing together, to get it?
0: Oh, once we got started, it went very quickly. Yeah, and and in the meantime, at the same time, I directed a short subject with Steve called the absent-minded waiter which was nominated for an academy award
1: i was gonna say that was so, a pretty big deal too
0: wasn't it yeah yeah that was yeah that that was yeah wow do you, well, do you still stay in contact a with smart steve? Idea, steve at that point steve was only a up-and-coming comic he had done a couple of shows in big theaters you know 2000 seat venues and sold them out so he was clearly uh you know a rising comic he hasn't he didn't wasn't doing stadium shows yet, but the producer at Paramount had faith in him and gave him a three-picture deal. Wow. And Andy said, we're going to produce a short subject with you, and we'll attach it to a Paramount product, give it to the exhibitors for nothing, and it'll establish you as a screen presence. You know, in the old days, we would have put you in a couple of B-movies in a studio, you know, we could have... <laughs> brought your career along right in a different kind of way but now we'll, we'll we'll do this short we'll put it out with i think greece uh or towering inferno what well. big paramount picture wow. <coughs> so they made made the short i directed it because there was a feeling that if we did the movie i would direct the movie right but we did the short nominated for academy Award, and then paramount had a change of regime the project was shit canned uh they took it over to universal who was who were happy to get it and the the screenplay evolved in a different direction with michael elias and became a hit too so you know everybody wins
1: how did the uh so so you were doing the flip wilson thing and then you you did you just do uh uh one episode of saturday night live
0: uh, yeah, I did a couple episodes. I was in one of Albert Brooks. I wrote a couple of uh, sketches for them, for the, the you know the film pieces that Jimmy, uh, what's his name? There were some film pieces that they, they used to roll in film bits. I wrote a couple of those. I, I appeared as a guest in an Albert Brooks short film for Saturday Night Live. So that's why, and I knew Lorne Michaels because he had been the producer of the first Flip Wilson special. Ah, there you go. Okay, okay. He asked me to come to New York to do in seventy-five, seventy-four. He asked me to come to New York to do this new show that he was developing. Uh, that was going to be all live, and he offered me the Herb Sargent, um, uh, was it Herb or Albert Sargent. Anyway, the guy who was the older head writer for Saturday Night Live the first
1: okay. five years. Okay.
0: Sergeant, what, uh... Sergeant he offered me the, that job. But by that time, I had two feature films to my credit, including Jaws. So I figured I had, everybody in television in those days wanted to be in movies. So I was already in movies. So I passed on the opportunity. and But I stayed friends with Lauren and did those little guest shots and things. and Yeah. Wow. And you did it. And, by seventy-five, everybody in Saturday Night Live was coming out to L.A. to be in the movies, and I was already here, so I you know. Right. And that's when I became. That's when I became friends with Belushi and Chevy Chase. And <sighs> wow! Wayne.
1: Did you do anything with them? Have you Have you done anything with uh, them?
0: Yeah, I did a Chevy Chase special as a as a just as a comic actor, and uh, and I supplied Belushi with drugs for a while. <laughs>
1: Is that on your resume? <laughs> well, you no.
0: Know, he, he'd come stomping into the house at about three in the morning. Got any coke? Yeah. And then, and then he'd say, "Got any Valium? I got to come down." And then he'd leave. And then my wife had, uh, said, "John, you're gonna come. You come over here. You get us high. You get us wired. And then you leave. Now we're awake. We can't go back to sleep." And we were entertaining you. We were having a good time, and then you leave. You go back to the Chateau Marmont at five in the morning, and, uh, and we're stuck here. So you know, fuck you. You're going to come <laughs> and do drugs. So sit with us for a while. You know.
1: Yeah. How was he? Was he? Was he as crazy as uh, they 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 yeah. make him out to be?
0: John John was a force of nature.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I
0: uh... and, he spun, and he spun out of control at the end. It was very unfortunate.
1: Yeah, that happens a lot in uh, in your world. I think uh, a lot of uh, big uh, big presence people uh, tend I uh, have uh, do that. It's unfortunate, but it happens. I uh, I also see on here that you've got the the uh, Bob Newhart show. Yep. I mean, you've been on everything. That's that's a big show. That was huge.
0: Yeah, it was. I, I did it as an actor, and then I then I think I wrote an episode with uh, a writer named George Yannick. uh,
1: yeah so what what out of out of all these uh people and places and and shows and movies that you've been in what was your favorite one to work on what was like like the one that you, you 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 is most memorable for you
0: well i would say mash the Altman film yeah because there were like there were like 10 improvisational actors in it Corey fisher tamara horrocks um bud court i mean i mean i'm I'm, uh, a lot of people in that movie became part of altman's stock company i i i came back and did long goodbye for altman and i stayed friends with altman and his wife for a long time um and it was the most fun because you know we were there for nine weeks on location wow uh going out to uh the set that you know the same set that they used for the TV show, right? So you know, was, you know every, every day you'd go out to Fox and get on, in you know, a limo or a bus and drive out to the location. And what, uh, what, did, what did you? I, I don't movie. recall.
1: What did you play in that? What, what was your, who was your character? I played,
0: uh, uh, Captain John Black, Ugly John, the anesthesiologist.
1: Ah, very cool. I uh, that was a great show. You know, it's funny because I think, I think um, the TV show. Is like the longest running show there's been, or had
0: I don't remember, it was just a st- it, was, it, it, it was a phenomenon because it was one of the last of the big hits in the three network universe. Yeah, the, huh? the, yeah. the last episode of MASH had like a 55 share of yeah. the audience and an audience of like 47 or 80 million people, and those days are gone forever. Maybe no that's what it was. Show.
1: Maybe that, that, that the most most watched episode of TV was that Mash episode. I think maybe that's what it was. I I just yeah, saw um, it like a month ago. It was
0: up there. It was up there with like Super Bowl twenty fifty three or whatever. You know. Yeah. I, it was. Wow. It, it, I don't think there was as, as. I think there was one show that topped it. I don't know whether it was. No, there was no show. I don't think there was ever a show that got the same ratings because it became impossible. You can't get no. twenty share anymore. No, there's too many. There's too much stuff on television. It's too much to watch. Too many different options. That was the three. Network, that was the three network universe. You know, and that that that's gone forever.
1: I bet all three there's networks can't get that. There's
0: five hundred. I'm sorry. I, there are five hundred scripted shows on television now. You can't watch them all.
1: Right. Right.
0: And and of those five hundred. You know, a hundred are the best written shows, uh, best writing. Never mind television; the best dramatic writing being done.
1: Well, and I think uh, the three ne- the three major original networks combined couldn't get that kind of viewing power anymore. Nobody nobody watches regular yeah. TV. It's it's crazy. Yep. I uh, although yep. I've noticed yep. that is- YouTube is now yep. popping in commercials like regular TV. Like if you watch something on YouTube, you'll be in the middle of a show and they'll just pop a commercial in. Which is unfortunate, <laughs> but yeah. I, I suppose they got to pay the bills, right? What about What about well, George know, Burns? Hmm. Huh? What about George Burns? Did you do the George oh, Burns comedy week? That was, week? Fun. That, was
0: um, that was one of the last, that was the year of anthology shows. There was us, and Steven Spielberg did amazing stories, and I think there was another. Oh, Twilight Zone came back that year. Um, we did 17 episodes of the Burns show. No, we did 13 episodes of the Burns show. We won our time slot in six of them. And one of them was a pilot that Steve Martin wrote and directed, uh, Phil Alden Robinson directed, that was spun off into Harvey Corman, Valerie Perrine vehicle, uh, which only lasted six episodes. But it was a great time. I was under contract at Universal. They were paying me to write write shows. Uh, the Writers Guild strike of '88 stopped everything. Yeah. So during, it was that was the longest strike in the history of the Writers Guild, longest work stoppage in the history of Hollywood. That was that was the year there were no new no new shows in September. Yeah. And that's when reality programming got its start, because there was nothing to put on television. Now it's taken over. And and, and uh, everybody discovered that uh, programming on television is just something they put in between the commercials. <laughs> so, uh, there, you know, there you go. Uh, but um, I got to direct. I produced them all. I directed three or four of them. I had a great time. I had yeah. great casts, so, great shows.
1: So now they, uh, they've got the 45th anniversary of Jaws, Jaws. coming up. What uh what do you got in your pocket for that? Anything exciting? Just
0: well, I'm doing you know like two a couple of these a week, these podcasts yeah. uh everybody's using for the fourth 45th anniversary as a hook. Yeah. So I'm you know, I'm happy to be recognized as a writer and and uh, and an actor in the show. So I do these and I I pray that everyone's read my book. Uh
1: uh-huh the jaws log
0: available wherever books the show get a copy it's got the answers to all your questions about the fish movie
1: really yep. so it breaks out all the behind the scenes and all the the low i uh um,
0: absolutely, absolutely. I, I know they
1: had a little trouble with the old shark that's uh pretty widely yeah, known. All, it, it,
0: it's all in the book so if you have any interest
1: right on uh,
0: I, I urge you to buy the book. What,
1: um, what, what's, well, first of all, do you stay in contact with a lot of these people like Steve Martin or or any of these guys?
0: No, no. Uh, when I met them, they were not yet bold faced names. Okay. And, you know, I don't have a $300 million yacht to go to Cannes. (laughs) You know, I mean, you just, you move, you know, when you achieve the success that both Steve's achieved. Uh, you know, it's it's hard for your old friends to stick around. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a familiar trajectory. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't blame anybody because what happens is, when you hit that kind of success, your old friends, um, they can't afford to keep up. You know, if 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 you say let's go to Cannes for the festival. People have jobs. They have families. They, they can't buy a round-trip ticket to Europe. And, right. And even if you say, come on to Cannes, I'll buy your ticket. You know, you, I'll, I'll pay for the hotel. Then you get there and you're on, you know, you're beholden to somebody. And eventually what happens to all those people, they go through a phase where and if they're lucky, they have a spouse who loves them. But if they're not, every who's on a star trajectory hits a point where the only people they talk to are people who are on the payroll. Your trainer, your nutritionist, your your doctor, your your uh, social secretary, your All the yes valet, people. your groundskeeper. I mean, everybody is on the payroll. And a couple of them may be outspoken and tell you what you need to hear, frankly.
1: yeah.
0: But the bottom line is everybody depends on you. And nobody will tell you anything that's going to cost them their job. Right. So you lose perspective. Yeah. So then you have some hanging out with other people who are just as rich. So Stephen hangs out with Tom Hanks. Uh, uh, Steve Martin hangs out with whoever he – with the art world and literary world, with the editors of The New Yorker, and, and uh, um, they go div- they go the different ways.
1: Yeah. Wow. So we're
0: still friends. We're very cordial when we see each other. Yeah. But uh, you know, we we don't move in the same social circles anymore.
1: So what uh what is on the agenda? What's what's next? What are you uh
0: what are you looking to do? I'm I'm looking to get a movie produced that I've written. Um Hallmark is interested in a script that I wrote called uh please please do not return. <laughs> um I just got a call the other day that Hallmark's looking at it. I wrote a script called I wrote a musical uh, based on a true story called the uh, The Stowaways, vaudeville story, oh. 1917, and and I, I wrote a big uh, tentpole movie about pirates in Somalia. I've you know I've got a, a half a dozen scripts that are worth looking at. Interesting, and you know maybe one of them will see the light of day someday. Yeah, and I'm still available to write if people ask me to write something. I've written the scripts the last couple of years. I write about a script a year. I get hired to do a movie. Yeah, and then it's after I write them. It's up to the producers to get them financed and made, and that's very hard to do these days. How much Almost is impossible. the uh,
1: how much has the pandemic changed? You know, obviously you've been recovering from your from your uh, heart attack, but uh, how has it changed the way? the business is, you know, obviously you can't go out and schmooze anybody or, or do that kind of a thing, but have you seen a, a change in, in, you know, the, the people looking for scripts or people that are looking to, to work?
0: Um, well, first of all, I'm kind of out of touch with the new generation of filmmakers cause I'm, you know, before their time, everybody I knew who was in the business is either running a studio or dead or retired. You know, they're they're not reading scripts. They're not looking for projects. Right. So the people who are looking for scripts and projects, they know me by reputation. I know them because, you know, I I see their names in the trades, but we don't have the personal relationships that used to exist in my life. So I, you know, and the pandemic. I mean, we're we're living through something that has not, occurred in the last century and it's an it's going to define the epoch in which we live and it hasn't played out yet so it's hard to tell i mean there's no there's no social contact there's no schmoozing movie sets are going to be run in a whole other way they're just now figuring out how to make a movie and keep social distancing and keep people from contaminating each other because in a movie you work very closely yeah if you're up in makeup and hair, you can't keep six-foot distance from the makeup person. Right. <clears throat> right. So the world has changed, and we don't know how much it's changed. I mean, all we can do is go by our personal experience, which is unlike anything in anybody's experience. Nobody has been through this. Right. I mean, you and I are sitting here pretending life's normal, but, you know, we're white and we live in, in a, a world of privilege and isolation. And uh, we're not subject to the same pressures as, you know, we can have food delivered. We can have, you That's know, true. We can have uh, medical appointments that we can be driven to.
1: They're doing but, them online now. You don't even need to go. <laughs> They'll just zoom on in. Have you been going out at all? Or are you staying pretty hunkered no. down?
0: No. I mean, I, I went to visit some friends. We sat six feet apart on their front lawn and watched the bunnies. Yeah. On the, on the glass. Uh, but you know, and, and, uh, uh I, you know, there's very little socializing. I yeah. mean, you, you don't see, you don't see your friends, you, you don't, there's no crowds, there's no parties, there's no, no gatherings, there's not, nothing that made life rich and rewarding.
1: How do you, how do you keep from going cuckoo then? Like,
0: well, like I say, I had six months of training. When I was recovering yeah and a lot of people are going cuckoo. The only people who are managing is the new generation people who grew up since in, in the 21st century who don't find anything um, remarkable about online contact and zooming and you know texting and doing everything online because they do that all the time yeah. But that's not how I was raised. I you know, I'm comfortable with computers. I've had a computer since nineteen eighty seven. Um I'm not I'm computer literate. Doesn't prevent me from having glitches, but uh so I'm okay with computers. But
1: uh Well there's a lot of people that don't want to leave anyway. You know, a lot of the younger kids they don't they try to separate themselves as much as possible anyway.
0: Yeah, Uh, well the millennial group. Good luck for them, because I, know I, I have a feeling that they will grow up without any knowledge of the world.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's
0: you know, you know hitchhiking through Europe, you know, driving a VW bus from Amsterdam to Kathmandu, Nepal, wow, uh, across Afghanistan. You could do those kind of things in those days. Yeah, you could do everything. Wow. No more.
1: What? Uh, why aren't you writing a book?
0: Too much work. You got to remember, there's two kinds of writers. There are habitual writers who get up in the morning and just have to write. Stephen King is one of them. Okay. Uh, 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 Georges Simenon, the French mystery writer. These people are guys who write a novel before noon. I mean, (laughs) they just can't stop writing. Wow. That's, That's what they do. That's how they define themselves. That's habitual writers. Then there are deadline writers like me. I only write if I get paid. So if nobody's paying me, I don't write. So I have a much smaller body of work. I mean, I've been lucky to pay, be paid for some great films, right? And books. I wrote two. I wrote two biographies with David Crosby, which I'm very proud of. So.
1: Yeah, but I think it would pay off in the end. I mean, I I I think that would the stories you could tell, boy.
0: Yeah, it it would. But having written, I can tell you writing is lonely painful work it's not fun <laughs> you know george bernard shaw is often quoted as saying you know mr shaw do you like writing and he he, he was his reply was i like having written
1: ah when it's done yeah interesting but While uh, you are in the
0: process i couldn't even imagine you know,
1: but the uh, the stories that you have to tell i mean You've interacted with a lot of people that uh, yep. I, you know. I think it would be a massive, uh, a massive deal. That's very interesting. I, you know, uh, Richard Pryor, Steve Martin. I mean, these guys. Did you did you ever do uh, just straight up comedy, stand up comedy, hit the stage and throw yourself out there?
0: Well, I was, in, I, was in, I was in the committee for four years as a performer and a director. So that was that was the best that was the best show business time of my life. It's going to theater every night doing a set show for a big audience and then taking suggestions and doing an improvised show as a second show, three times, you know, twice a night, five nights a week, three times a Saturday, 13 shows a week, and being creative every night. That was the best time there was.
1: That'll build some chops right there. That, that, that is.
0: I mean, if if, if I calculate that a joke is going to work when I'm writing it, Chances are it'll work when somebody performs it, whether it's me or someone else. Cause I, I kind of know what's funny.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Are you, not working on any TV shows right now? Are you?
0: No, no, it's too much work. <laughs> like, you know, I don't have, no, I mean, you know, a rewrite night goes, you know, from Thursday at three in the afternoon till three of the next morning. Yeah. And I don't have, You know I, I my health won't permit that.
1: Yeah. Wow. So, Wow, how you know, Basically,
0: I have to concede that I am now older and frailer than I've ever been. So I don't,
1: I don't know. You seem pretty I sharp more to slowly. me. I'm,
0: oh, I know this. You know, this way I, I'm I'm terrific. Everybody who sees me on the tube thinks I'm you know fabulous, uh, and and it's a convincing appearance. Uh, but trust me, when 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 I when you sign off and I go back. I go down the stairs in my apartment very carefully and I sit in a big chair with my feet up and the daily newspaper and I kill time until I go for a walk or have lunch at four in the afternoon or five then I watch television and then and I
1: you're still fully living by yourself
0: just yeah, you I love living by my, I've wow. lived by myself for forty years
1: yeah wow that's that's I'm telling you you're i you're you wouldn't know that you had uh, had a had an episode if you wouldn't have brought it up. I mean I uh no. but I haven't seen you run a marathon yet either.
0: No, well
1: that may you, not happen. You probably,
0: huh? will, you probably will not see that.
1: <laughs> well listen, sir, we have to wrap this up. I uh I can't thank you enough for all the time, man. You are a very interesting cat, and I think uh we may have to check in on you down the road here and uh do sure. a little follow-up and, uh, see how you're doing. Cause I, uh, I've really enjoyed talking with you and I think the, uh, the fans of my podcast are really going to get a lot out of it. You really uh, have some stories to tell. I'm going to keep pushing you for that book. Um, cause I think it's uh it's a great idea. So you, uh, you take care and, uh, and we thank you so much for the time. And, uh, like I said, we'll check in on you somewhere down the road, sir
0: okay take good care of yourself all right thanks man i'll do the, i'll do the same bye all right. thank you bye now
1: that's it that's the end
0: that's a wrap Read the stick that's a wrap for today's episode don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends if you'd like to reach out you can use the studio line at 612-504-6500 or by email the dkprojectpodcast at gmail.com And of course, there's always social media at the DK Project Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.